um, I really just felt to say that there's something about sharing testimony um, as a people. And um, we, we actually need to realize that sharing testimony is not just something we do like as a space for in church, but it is actually a spiritual principle involved. If you take your notes, this is like part of And the reason is because the reason, the, the first reason that testimony is so powerful is because it puts us in a place of thanksgiving and gratitude. And um, when you say thank you to God for what He has done, you're not like waiting for what God is going to do, but you're actually celebrating what He's already done. Someone would say And we hear, I don't know about you guys, but there's a lot more talk about gratitude than I will today. Um, even psychologically speaking, like they say you can't be you can't be grateful and be anxious at the same time. Like there's something in your brain when you when you're grateful, it takes you out of a place of anxiety and despair. So it's like hardwired into who we are. God's hardwired this thanksgiving nature, not just into our spirit, but into our bodies. And so when you live from a place of gratitude, what you choose to do is you choose to align your heart with a posture that says, I'm going to always choose to give thanks for, to God for what He's already done. Yeah. Even though I'm waiting for Him to do what He hasn't yet done. So you don't choose to focus only on what God hasn't done, but you choose to focus on what He has done. Yeah. And you tell the story of what God has done. And I really feel like as we share testimonies as a church, God's going to, as Sue was saying, God's going to continue to release faith. And as faith is released, God's going to continue to do great healings and miracles and signs and wonders. And as we share on that, it's going to continue to release more faith. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. And I was, uh, I, had, I had a dream last night, and I just wanted to stir you guys faith a bit. But I had a dream that I was in this building, and I just saw like the entire place. It was like, it was this world, you know when you have a dream where like you're in a place, it is the place, but it's also not the place. Yeah. It was like this building, but it was way bigger, but it was definitely here. And I just saw like, just like young people. Just like, I mean, I, I still consider myself young. But like, yeah, just like 20 people in their teens, people in their 20s. And it, and it was this move of God and people were encountering God in such a powerful way. And I just woke up and I felt like God's going to do something incredibly powerful in our church where the, what He does in the hearts and the lives of young people is not going to be able to contain in our meetings. And there's going to be a move of God in young people that's going to like capture something in their hearts. Wow, thank you. Where it's not just like, we're not just trying to do the next hip thing so that young people are like, oh my way, these people aren't boring and like, I want to go and do Fortnite or whatever. What are those, you know, see, I'm so out of touch. But there's something about God, like, really taking hold of people's lives, the young people, and I, and I really feel like He wants to stir faith. So, this message is going to be like a little bit different because I feel like God wants to, whoa, thank you, Lord. I feel like God wants to, like, do something and say something prophetically as well as, like, teaching. And I know we've, we've been in a series um, in the Sermon on the Mount talking about the ways of Jesus. So we've been going through Matthew 5 and the ways of Jesus. And today we're just like taking a pause and our mission as a church is stepping into the story of God 
and the ways of Jesus for the sake of Cape Town. And we're focusing on the ways of Jesus. And today we just want to take a pause and say, like, what does it look like to step into the story of God? What, what does it look like when the story of God breaks out in your life? And that's why I asked um, Sue to share her testimony. Um, and I really feel like there's something where um, God's going to just continue to do like, incredible work. So we're going to hear amazing testimonies. And you know that, that portion of um, scripture that we've been preaching from is called the Beatitudes or the Sermon on the Mount. And it starts just before that. Jesus comes and he says, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. And what he's saying is like, my kingdom, my rule, my reign is like right in arm's reach. It's within grasp. And I don't know about you guys, but it's felt the last few weeks, probably six weeks, hasn't it felt like just like the kingdom of God is like at hand, like when we worship and when we pray? I I was here about, must have been three or four weeks ago, and I I wasn't even praying for anyone, just, um, I think I was just helping lead the meeting. And I saw someone get, get up from the floor. They'd just been like encountering God. And it was a literal like puddle of tears. Like a puddle of tears on the floor. As God just begins to touch you. Yeah. And God's doing something. And we mustn't miss what He's doing. Yeah. And, um, you know, talking about testimonies and celebrating what God has done. You know, the enemy will always try and get us focused on what God has not done. <coughs> Or where it appears that God is not moving in our lives. Or where it is apparently obvious to us that everyone else in our lives is succeeding or having victory in that same areas where we fail. I don't know about you, but this week, it's like, every time I'm like on social media, I get a message. It's just like, you know when you just have a, I don't know if you've ever had a week, but like, everyone in your life, like, wow. They're just like, they're where I want to be. Or like, they're doing the thing that I want to do. And you just like, what is going on with my life? Anyone ever had that experience? And I feel like many of us are living in that curse of comparison. And comparison is a curse. Because if you play the game of comparison, you're always going to lose. You're always going to find someone that's better than you, richer than you, more successful than you, better looking than you, funnier than you, more humble than you, (laughs) compares themselves less to others than you. Yeah, while listening on Greece, in a week in Greece, like a whole tech time, she in the rain. But yeah, I just feel like there's a beautiful, there's a beautiful quote that our friend Ella introduced us to from Oswald Chambers. It said, the root of all sin is the suspicion that God is not good. I'll read it again. The root of all sin is the suspicion that God is not good. The root, sorry, I didn't have much because we met at Loach and also I'm not very good at doing slides. The root of all sin is the suspicion that God is not good. You see what happened in the Garden of Eden was the enemy came in and all the enemy had to do to cause the fall of Adam and Eve was just to convince them that God was holding out to them. Like they were in a position where they had everything. They were living in abundance. They were living in paradise. God had given them authority. And the, the snake, the serpent, the enemy came and said, But there's that tree. Isn't God trying to hold out to you? 
And it's something where the enemy will always come in and try and convince us to focus on what God hasn't done so that we won't focus on what God has done. And so that's why it's so important that we build a culture of testimony where we take ourselves out of that place of saying, no, but God's holding on. And for some of us, I just feel like it's almost like the enemy is trying to convince you that you're barren. I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah. But it's like, it's almost like there's areas in our lives that I just feel like God says they're brimming with seed. It's like, but when we look at the field of our life as, as an analogy, the enemy would try and say no, it's barren, walk away from it. Because he always tries to kill something before, before it's birth. And I feel like God just wants to say, like, the seed of promise is about to break through the ground. Don't hold back from the promises. Don't hold back from the promises that I've spoken over your lives. And I feel like God's really going to do a deep work of healing in the area that we feel of barrenness for many of us. Because it's almost like for too long the enemy is trying to convince us that we, we just aren't able to reproduce ourselves and give forth life. And there's an incredible verse in Hebrews 11, 11 that says this. Has anyone been seeing repeating numbers, by the way? Like, I've been seeing it a lot. can ask well about my 33s. Um, but this is the cool one. If you've been seeing repeating numbers, this is what for you, 11, 11. Hebrews 11, 11. This is what it says. It says, By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive even when she was past the age since she considered him faithful who had promised. I'll read it again. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive even when she was past the age or past the opportune time since she considered him faithful who had promised. And you know, when it says she was past the age, and actually in the direct translation it says she was past the time of opportunity. And in Greek that word is kairos. Kairos means like a divine moment of opportunity. And it's like God had set Sarah up for this divine moment of opportunity that she was going to give birth to the son that was going to fulfill the promise that God had spoken over Abraham, that Abraham would be the father of many nations. And it says that Sarah was past the opportune time. It's like she missed the window of opportunity for God to do what God was going to do in her life. Anyone ever feel like you've missed that window of opportunity? I don't know about you, but I, I, I just sense like many of us are living in a place of like there's promises that have been delayed, or there's words of God that have spoken us that almost feel deferred. And the Bible says that hope deferred can make the heart sick. And I feel like God wants to heal heart sickness where our hope has been deferred because there's been a delay. But God says, no, I'm faithful. Because it says, even when she was past the age, she considered him faithful to the promise. And I feel like God, for many of us, we know the promises he's made to us. He's a promise maker, but he's also a promise keeper. He's a promise maker, but he's also a promise keeper. And I feel for some of us, God just wants to say, I am faithful to keep my promise. And it says, 
by faith, when Sarah had faith in God, she considered him faithful who had promised. She received power to conceive. So she missed the window for that seed to give birth. But in faith, God gave her supernatural power to conceive the seed in a, in a way that she could never have done, even when she missed the time. And for many of us, it's like this seed, there's promises, there's things God's spoken in our lives. And He says, I'm inviting you to mix your faith with my power, and I'll birth that seed, even though it feels like you've missed the time, or you, you even feel like you passed the opportunity of what I wanted to do in your life. Does that make sense? Does that help you? By faith, Sarah herself received power, this supernatural power when we exercise our faith. The Bible says in Hebrews 11 verse 1, Faith is the assurance or the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. It's the substance, it's the, it's the tangible evidence of what you hope for. And you know, you can't have faith if you don't have hope. Because it says faith is the substance or the assurance of things hoped for. And you know, when the enemy convinces us that God is not on our side or He's holding out on us, or he, there's a root in our life that God is not good, it's like you begin to just like your, your hope dwindles. Ever been in that position? We're just like, oh, you know, I'm almost done holding out hope. But I feel like God says, like, for those of you who hold hope, it's going to be the substance of what you hope for and the evidence of what you don't see. You see, because when we live by faith, we trust God to do what we haven't seen. And that's why we share testimonies. Because when we share testimonies, we say, look, this is what God has done in my life. If He's done it for me, He can do it for you. You haven't seen it, but I've seen it. And I can tell you, God heals the back. And you might have a back that's sore, but I can tell you that God is the God who can heal backs. So that's the other reason that testimonies are so powerful, because my victory becomes your victory. You know, in, 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 in our world, like, your success immediately means my failure. Like, if you succeed, then I, I failed. Right? But in the kingdom, your success is my success. So anything that you receive in the kingdom, freely you receive, so freely you give. So when you share your testimony, the ground that the, God, that the Lord's given you to take is yours to give away. It's the principle of inheritance. When I have a victory in the kingdom of God, my ceiling becomes your platform. And I say, I've battled through this, I've had faith, God's given me victory, now I'm going to give it away to you for free, so you don't have to fight about it. Thank you, Tessa. So, there's something that happens when we become kingdom people, where we realize God's created us to give away what we have. So when we have testimonies, we share them, and we can give away the substance of what we've seen God do, so it becomes the evidence of what God hasn't done in other people's lives, as His kingdom breaks in. The thing about being kingdom people and stepping into the story of God is we start to realize that we exist for more than ourselves. When you realize that you are actually, that your victory is a place that other people can step into and, and take ground that you've won, 
then it begins to change your perspective. You know, the Bible says that of the increase of his government and his peace, there will be no end. That means the kingdom of God, when God breaks in, when God breaks in, it's always increasing. There's always more. There's always an abundance. And you know, the enemy is so classic in the garden. He comes in and he comes with a poverty mindset. And he tries to convince Adam and Eve, you don't have enough. And they're literally living in the land of abundance. But they have no lack. There's, a, there's nothing that is, is not theirs. And somehow the enemy convinced them that there's lack. And he'll always try and convince us that God is holding out on us. But the truth is, like, there's always more in the kingdom of God. We're called to exist for more than ourselves. <coughs> and I felt um, drawn to this passage in a week, or just this verse from Isaiah 43. Many of you guys might know, I didn't actually, I know the verse, but I didn't realize it in Isaiah 43. It says this, Isaiah 43, 18 to 19, it says, Forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up, do you not perceive it? I'm making a way in the wilderness, and I'm making streams in the wasteland. And I felt like that was just a promise from God over us in our lives, saying, forget the former things, do not dwell on the past. And, I, and, and for some of us, it's just like God wants to step in and say, like, it's enough dwelling on the past. Like, I've dealt with your past, and I've got a great future for you. And even though you walk through the land of disappointment, He's bringing us into the land of promise. Disappointment can really suck the life out of us. Because when we're disappointed, it's like we, we just, we, you can't focus on the thing that you miss out on. And I feel like God, for many of us, He just wants to break disappointment and He wants to break regrets of our hearts. Because when you live with disappointments or regrets, it's like all, you always just reflect back. Does that make sense? Forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. And it's so interesting, in that passage where it speaks about Sarah receiving faith, it also talks about Abraham. And it says this. It's also Hebrews 11, but this is verse 8. And it says, By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. And there was something about Abraham, by faith, that he kept looking forward to the city that he didn't even see. And this and being a people of faith, it's like we have to forget the former things, not dwell on the past, and keep looking forward to the things that God has called us to. The Bible says, um, set your mind on things above, where Christ is seated. Not on earthly things. 
And I feel like the Holy Spirit wants to breathe afresh on the things that He's spoken over our lives. Because it's like we're in a season where God's breaking out. Anyone else sense that? Yeah. We're in a season where like, the Holy Spirit is doing deep work in our life. And I feel like He's doing two things. It's like He's dealing with the, the arrows and the hooks and, and like the tenter hooks that have got into our hearts. It's been like disappointment, pain, regrets, all of those things, and he wants to heal us from that. But at the same time, while he's doing it's like he's doing this deep work of healing, and he's also doing this deep work of restoring promises and revealing his kingdom purposes over our lives. And we mustn't miss what he's doing because he wants us to be people that keep moving forward, not dwelling on the past, but taking ground. And it says that Abraham was to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And you know the thing about fathers? Was fathers there? Was that last week? <laughs> I've only been a father for five days less than a year, so don't take, don't take this. I'm sure you can speak to my father-in-law and my grandfather-in-law here today. People who've been fathers for way longer. There's something about a father where a father exists for more than himself. And you know, in the Old Testament, the real sign of wealth, the real sign of success is what you left as an inheritance for your family. That's why at the ages of 80, Caleb and Joshua said, give us a hill country. There's a promise that was made to us a generation ago. No one has stepped into that land. Give us that land. We want to take that land and step into the inheritance so that we can leave a bigger inheritance for our children than what we started with. And it's a kingdom principle that God wants us to be people that take ground in His kingdom so that those who are our sons and daughters can come in after us and start better than we, than we started. Make sense? So that your life is about winning victories so that the next generation doesn't have to fight the same battles. Yeah. And so this whole thing that we're talking about on how God sees women and releasing women into their identity and the calling of God over their lives. It's like we all fight this battle so that the next generation doesn't have to fight that yeah. battle. So that the next generation, the daughters that we bring up don't have to wonder, can I be in ministry? Can I be in ministry? Can I do this? Can I do that? No, they starting point knowing that I'm not fully authorized to be the person God's created me to be so I can step into the purposes of God. So they don't have to wait half their life fighting about it. That's how the kingdom works. We give that away for free so they can start and they can take way more ground than we would ever have taken because they're standing on the shoulders of what God's done in our lives. And I feel like that's really something that like as we continue to contend for that, God's going to bring many women into, into a new level of freedom. Yeah. And that's not like me as a man saying something um, about women, but it's about the reality of seeing how for so long men have actually created a system where women can't feel free to be released to be the people who God created them to be. Yeah. And it's time for that to stop. And then he says, do not dwell on the past. See, I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs up, do you not perceive it? And it's beautiful when God starts to do a new thing. Sometimes it's just like a trickle. He says, it just it springs up. 
Can you perceive it? And I love what you're sharing in worship, Rog, about, like, I was reminded of that. Can you see the cloud? You know, when, I think it was Elijah, when Elijah went out against Ahab and said, God's going to send rain. And he sent his servants and there was no sign. And he sent him again and there was no sign. He sent him again. Five times, six times, seventh time he came back and said, I see a cloud the size of a man's hand. And he got up and he started to run. And he ran ahead and it says, the heavens open. And for some of us it's like, God's spoken something, you know it's true, you've gone and looked and it wasn't. And you've gone and you've pressed in and you haven't seen it. But maybe it's one more time, or two more times, or three more times. But eventually, you're going to start to see what God's doing. He says, does, does it not spring up? Do you not perceive it? Can you not sense, like, if we begin to value, like, the trickle of the presence of God and say, more, oh, we just, we thank you for what you are doing. It's not yet a flood, but we can feel the trickle. And God begins to open it up more. And that cloud that's the size of a man's hand begins to grow. And we step out of faith. And maybe then the rain will be much more. And he says, I'm making a way in the wilderness. I'm making streams in the wasteland. You know, God can turn the wastelands of our lives into the streams and rivers of His goodness. He makes a way in the wilderness. He calls us. You know, when God called <coughs> Moses, do you know where he was? I can't remember the exact chapter in Genesis. But it says he was on the far side of the wilderness. He was on the butt end of the butt end of the wilderness. And you know what he was doing? He was looking after his father-in-law's sheep. He wasn't, he didn't even have resources of his own that he could steward. He had to be stewarding someone else's resources. At the far end of the wilderness. Like, talk about going from the palace to the gutter and then some. And in that moment, he, would, he looked aside and he saw a bush. And he, and he said, maybe that's on fire. And according to um, historians, those um, in the desert, the bush would often just catch a light because it was so hot. But it's like he perceived something that was different. And as he stepped aside, he had this moment of encounter with God that took him from the far end of the wilderness to being a man who would lead the people of God into the promised land. And for many of us, we can feel like our lives are on that very edge of the wilderness, almost feeling like, I don't even have the things that God's promised me to steward. I'm stewarding someone else's resources. I'm working for someone else. I'm doing something I don't feel like I'm called to do. But maybe even in that moment, God says, there's a divine encounter waiting for you. Because I'm the God who makes a way in the wilderness. And I'm the God who makes streams of the wilderness. Let's stand. I feel like God just wants to speak to many of us this morning. Just take a moment. And I want to read this over us. Maybe just close your eyes or just open your hands or whatever posture. 
the Lord says, forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. But see, I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs up, do you not perceive it? I'm making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland.